Hey, quitters. Welcome to episode 33 of the Quitting Kratom Sobriety. I'm sorry. What's, what is it? <laughs> the Kratom <laughs> Sobriety. Let me start it over. Kratom Sobriety Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, quitters. Welcome to episode 33 of the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. I'm here with Jacob today to introduce this week's episode, we are going to have interview with Christina. We're super excited about that. Right, Jacob? Yeah, very excited to hear about Christina's experience with Kratom and, and her getting clean from it. So yeah, we're excited for that interview. Yeah, it's a good one. So awesome. Yeah. So I know that you wanted to have a little discussion today, Jacob. What's on the plate today? Yeah. So for our intro this week, we wanted to talk a little bit about kratom withdrawal versus opiate, opiate with opioid withdrawal, because unfortunately, I think you and I have some experience with that. And I know a lot of times when I see people posting questions online, that's a common one. So I figured it'd be good to kind of talk about our experiences. So I'm happy to start. Back in my early 20s, I, I had sizable, I don't know if it's sizable. I had a decent size oxy cotton habit for like about a year. So this is back in the days when the opiate crisis was new and there was pill mills everywhere. And like, it seemed like that stuff was just everywhere. But anyways, I probably got up to about like 150 milligrams a day at the end. And I was finishing college and I was moving to New York City. And I had some time off in the summer and I was like, I just have to get this behind me because I don't want to, you know, move to a new city and be addicted to opioids. And, you know, I didn't kind of, I didn't have a dealer at that point and all this other stuff. So anyways, I just did it cold turkey. I was, I was young. I didn't really know any better. And I would say it was sheer hell for like five days of just pure vomiting, diarrhea, sweats, flu, all of it. It was just probably the close, the, the sickest I would probably say I've ever been. Um, So that was, and then I would say about 72 hours, like three days in, I think I reached like the peak of it and it started to get better from there. In about five days, I was, was feeling good or not feeling good. I was feeling better. And then I'd say by the end of the week, I was, I was pretty much through it. And I kind of didn't really think about it again and just kind of moved on with my life. The one thing that I noticed that didn't kind of occur that did occur with Kratom was there wasn't that mental kind of hell that comes with Kratom. So compare that to Kratom for me, I had kind of, at the end, I was doing like four OPMS black shots and probably 30 grams of powder on top of it. I would say it was like physical opiate detox light. So it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as terrible. What I think was a little bit worse was the RLS, like the restless leg stuff that seemed to be worse with Kratom. But what I would say that made it worse for me was the mental stuff. With Kratom, there was just this mental anguish component that never seems to end. It just kind of, I'd get through the physical part, be able to sleep again, but it would be weeks and I would just be stuck with this like deep depression and suicidal thoughts. It was just that, that for me made it, made it worse. So that was kind of my experience with Kratom withdrawals versus opiate withdrawals. I was curious if you know, what your experience was like. So actually, I have a lot of questions and, and stuff. Please. That I want. Yeah, it's crazy how Kratom just kind of leaves this hole that nothing else fills, right? So I actually, I have, I've talked about before an extensive history with all the substances. Pretty much done Me too. All. 
actually was caught off guard by opiate withdrawal. And what I mean by that is I had already been to my rock bottom twice, like on things like Coke, meth, all the hard shit, you know, the things just, you know, I was past it, you know, so I'm taking pills thinking this is, you know, this is just pills until the first time I got dope sick caught me off guard and I didn't even realize that's what it was until I took a pill and felt instantly better almost, you know? So it was like, from that point on, it's been nonstop an opioid battle and it's been one opioid after another. And it's almost like it's been, it's hard to explain. It's like, it's been steps to sobriety. If that makes sense. Like I started taking pills and abusing them and started abusing them in harder ways, which is part of my question for you is how you were ingesting or how you were Uh. eating. But then, you know, we also, I went from that to wanting to get clean. So I went to Suboxone and Methadone and then Kratom and now I'm on Vivitrol. And it's like, it's been over all these years. But for me, the withdrawal to compare it to Kratom has been the same, exactly the same. But okay. With that added mental, like it's right around the corner. There's something missing. I know I actually relapsed on harder things one time because of withdrawing from Kratom. It was like suffering so bad without Kratom. I'm taking all these other stupid things. Yeah. And it just didn't work. So definitely relate to that. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I have probably a very similar experience. I'll answer your question first. Method of ingestion was primarily crushing and like snorting them. That was before they changed the formula when this is like, I'd say 2004, 2005, where, where, where you could, uh, you could still do that. Maybe you still can. I don't really know, but, um, (laughs) it's kind of interesting. Um, so I had that experience and then like I moved away and I was in my early twenties. So I just kind of. Instead of, I didn't do any recovery work, right? I just stopped and went through the withdrawal and I basically got through the cold turkey and then I just picked up an alcohol and, and coke habit and then did that for a while and then eventually just settled on, on alcohol. That was a lengthy, lengthy addiction. And it was kind of interesting. I had, I had an injury a couple, probably like seven or eight years ago now and I actually was prescribed oxycodone. I don't even think I finished it. Um, I was just so deep in in the alcohol addiction that I didn't even like, I just wanted to get back to that, yeah. uh, which was, was interesting. I did though. It's interesting that you say that you kind of relapsed or, or went back to the, the harder opiates as part of the kratom withdrawal. That thought crossed my mind several times. The only reason I didn't do it was because I was reading online that basically all the pills were fentanyl pressed pills now. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't even, I then I didn't have a dealer and I was like, it seemed like it was probably not going to work out. But I think if I, if I could have found someone with pharmaceutical grade opiates that I could have easily got my hands on, then I probably would have tried it. Well, see, for me, it wasn't even opioids. Like I started doing Adderall and Coke and shit that I had not done in like 15 years, mm. like things that I thought I was past. That When it got to that point, I'm like, okay, we have a problem here. Like there's a whole Kratom is leaving and it's not going to be filled by a substance. But yeah, that's definitely been my experience with Kratom. It, it's been pretty much the same, but with the added mental anguish, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. 
And um, I think, a re- I don't remember what guest it was, but a recent guest that had a lengthy opiate problem also said something similar, like it was the same, which I think speaks to the fact that like, yeah, Kratom has 50 or whatever, how many alkaloids, but really the one that's doing most of the stuff is that, is that opioid activity from the mitrogenine. And I just love it when we, we hear all the time, oh, you must have never been dope sick before if you think that Kratom causes withdrawals. Like, huh, yeah, I have actually. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am yeah. telling you <laughs> right now. Yeah, I think, I think that's the case. And I think a lot of people that make that comparison that maybe have been dope sick that are like, well, it's not been like that for me. I don't think they've, they, I don't think they've progressed in their Kratom usage to the like, like, oh, I'm taking a couple grams here or there to the like, oh, I'm taking like 30 grams at a time dosage that you can get up to. Definitely did give me the same exact the restless legs, cold sweats, throwing up, cravings. I mean, for me, there was no difference physically as far as, you know, the withdrawal. How about for you? Was it was there any difference with the physical part of that? I think the two main differences for me were I didn't have, like, I don't think Kratom ever made me throw up, whereas opiate detox definitely did. Um, so that was one worse component on opiate detox. On the flip side, I, I feel like the RLS wasn't as bad. I'm good, but I'm going back like, yeah, you know, 15 plus years now. So maybe my memory's a little bit off, but I don't remember the RLS being as bad with, with opiate detox. But I definitely still had the insomnia component, so it didn't really matter all that much. But it was very, very subtle differences. So, Well, I'll say this, that all of the, the same treatments and things that you would do to ease opioid and opiate withdrawal work with Kratom. So to me, it's an opioid. I call it what it is. It's it does what an opioid does. Yeah. My um my doctor told me that she basically when people come to her with with kratom addiction, she treats it the same as she would like she doesn't treat it the same as fentanyl or heroin, but basically is a pain pill addiction. She sees very little difference and people react to treatment the exact same way, according to her. So which is interesting. Yeah. Can you can overdose on it as well. And I have been seeing and hearing a lot more from medical professionals talking about people coming in with Kratom overdose seizures, a lot of seizures. That's the main ones. Well, I think with that, you know, listeners, you can hopefully you won't have to make that comparison, but that's kind of been our experience. And it seems like people have differing experiences withdrawal, but just know that, you know, you can get through it. And if you, if you need professional help, it's there and don't be afraid to go get it. But I think with that, we can get on to the interview that you had with Christine this week. Thanks, Jacob. Talk to you later. Thanks. Today, I'm going to be chatting with a good friend of mine, Christina. Christina just recently celebrated a year kratom free in september so you've actually got a little more than a year under your belt which is so awesome but yeah we're gonna talk a little bit with her today the first thing that we want to do is ask you how would you describe yourself to somebody tell us about christina i guess first and foremost i'm a mama and a wife those are my two most important roles i take on for myself most recently i began taking a birth doula course 
and I will be eventually, I believe, becoming a midwife. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my main focus of my life right now. Nice. That is so beautiful. I love that. When were you first introduced to Kratom? How did that come about? The fall of 2017. And uh, it was my, my husband stumbled upon it through a podcast, not a podcast. It was a, a YouTube channel. It's an old ministry we used to follow. And they just touted it as this cure-all, end-all, be-all for all of your problems, pain, anxiety, depression, you name it. You know, you know the drill, I'm sure. I was having, well, <laughs> complex PTSD, PTSD, compounded with postpartum depression. And my husband was, he had been taking it for about a month and it really helped with his anxiety. And, you know, a loving husband got me to take it and, and it helped at first. It helped at first and then well, became something detrimental in the end. But that's how it came about at first. I was just hoping to ease my mental issues. Okay, I understand. So you were using it basically self-medicating. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so how were you uh, how were you getting Kratom? Were you buying it in the store? Were you ordering it online? Like how did you learn about Kratom? Um at first we had yeah, a local head shop, we were buying it there and then became the, the more we began taking, the more expensive it became. So we you know sought a source elsewhere and I had another friend who or had a friend who's girlfriend had has ms and i asked him where he found his and he sent me to a website that was just absolutely so much cheaper but but for the amount that we were buying so just began began our ordering in bulk online from then on well how long did you use and were you using it daily did you take breaks like what did your use look like daily Pretty much from the moment I began taking it, it was daily. And, you know, the whole two, at first it was every four hours and smaller doses. And I just, even you know, just continually began upping the dose and it got to every two hours that I needed it. And the doses became heavier and heavier. And of course you justify it as with any addiction, you justify why you're taking as much as you are and why you need it. Yeah, it was daily. And so fall of 2017, up until, you know, September of 2022. So it, I understand it gets to a point where sometimes we have to take more because the same amount just isn't working. Like we build a tolerance. And then mm -hmm. there's also times like for me, the addict in me, you would take more because you're chasing a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. Did you find yourself, you know, chasing that feeling or reaching a tolerance point? Oh, absolutely. I remember the. I remember when I first took it. It was like, oh, this is nice because I I did some heavy stuff back in the day, and and it just was reminiscent of that. And I was like, oh, this is a legal way to get that high, <laughs> and yeah. So and yeah, and I remember one of the first times I was like, I'm going to take a big dose today, and I took this really big dose, and I got that that high. But then you just have to keep upping your dose eventually, you know. So you yeah, just have keep to keep chasing, chasing it, it. <laughs> chasing it, chasing it relatable for sure. So that actually leads me to my next question, which was, you know, a lot of us do have a history of drug abuse when we find ourselves using Kratom. And you did mention that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your, you know, your history with other substances and how that might have tied in with your Kratom use? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in a household. Sorry, there was a fly. <laughs> I grew up in a household where my first bottle of liquor was a gift from my father kind of thing. Everything was permissible. It wasn't substance abuse in our house. It was just partying. And how you know, 
and having fun. And that led to just, I mean, a pretty, I've pretty much done everything there, there can be, you know, every street drug there is. Very fortunate to have kind of just gotten off them when I wanted to, like I did. I'll be frank, you know, I did meth for a couple of years and decided I didn't want to, you know, be a meth head anymore. And praise the universe, it just kind of, I just, you know, was able to kick that. I, I even shot up heroin a few times and was just like, meh, I don't want to do I don't know how on earth, honestly, that happened, that I was able to just kick those habits like I did. The hardest things for me to kick were, were pot, truly. I still kind of struggle with pot, like using it as a way to just not think and not focus and just, you know, shove everything on the back burner. So, and drinking, drinking was, was more of just a fun thing for me. Like when I got pregnant with my oldest, it was like, really, it was, that was easy to shut off for me. Drinking was easy, but, um, but you still, as someone who grew up not being taught how to regulate emotion, not being taught to, to center yourself in anything, you're always seeking a way to figure out how to well, really continue to put it on the back burner because it was always on the back burner. If you grow up that way, your your development, your self-development is never a focus. When that part of you understands you have to move forward, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to find something that helps me to not focus on myself. So Kratom was an easy way, an easy, easy way to just continue to put self-development on the back burner. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I did the same thing. Uh, basically, I feel like I grew up when I got sober. You know, I learned mm -hmm. how to face reality because yes. I called it like my kratom bubble. Mm -hmm. The world could be burning, you know, to the ground outside as long as I'm over in my little bubble feeling okay. You know, so I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that and how when you get sober, you have to face those yes. things. They're still there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I actually kind of mentioned this as well, but I like to ask people, did you find quitting Kratom? You said that quitting other things were not as difficult for you. Did you find quitting Kratom was actually like harder than quitting oh, yeah. those things? Yeah. I mean, I tried cold turkey so many times. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably for an entire year, I tried cold turkey and I would get those flu-like symptoms that a lot of people describe. And I, I just, I just couldn't do it. But then finally I was having health issues with my, my glands, like under my armpits, swelling so badly. I could feel them and they were painful. And so what I would do, I got this tincture called carnivora and it would clear them and they'd go down. But then after another month of heavy kratom usage, they would clog right back up. Lymph nodes. Yeah. My lymph nodes were clogging terribly. <laughs> and, uh, and so after a month and I did that, I think three times throughout the year. And they would, and they would just come right back. But it was my hair falling out. I know that's so vain, but it was my hair falling out in just gobs that finally I was like, okay, I cannot, I cannot turn away from how harmful this is any longer. And so I knew the cold, the cold turkeys weren't working for me. And so I began, I began, I began, it began a slow taper, probably in about August, the beginning of August last year, I began a slower taper. And then beginning of September, it was just, it was a heavy, I wasn't, I didn't met, didn't weigh. I just used it like I measured in teaspoons and tablespoons. And so I just, each week I would cut it by a quarter. I would take a quarter less of my dose each week. And by, finally by September 30th, I was down to, I believe one quarter of a, of a, of a teaspoon and just, and I jumped ship. And then that was, that was it. 
So, so you basically created your own taper schedule mm-hmm. and tapered yourself off. Yes. So I know you mentioned the hair, which a lot of people, I had the same thing. A lot of people report the hair issue. Were there other things like side effects or signs that you, things that let you know that this is a problem? Like, how did you know it was Kratom is not, this is not good for me. I need to quit. I was having heart palpitations and I've read that Kratom can, sorry, I say Kratom, not Kratom. I don't know. I don't know the right way or wrong way to say it, but <laughs> I, I read that there is. <laughs> it, it depletes your electrolytes apparently in your body. And of course we need electrolytes for proper heart function. And so I was getting just crazy heart flutters and heart palpitations and my legs were so swollen. My calves all the time, they were so swollen and red and itchy. And uh, I just knew there was something going on in my body that I knew was the Kratom. And like I said, it's I still wouldn't face it. I wouldn't accept that that's what it was. And it took my hair falling out for me to go, okay, I got to do something about this. Yeah, I can relate to the hair thing. In fact, when I quit, it was kind of ceremonial. I did a little haircut and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, we're starting over here. And it's been great to see the hair come back. Has your hair mm-hmm. been coming back pretty quickly? Yes, and, it has. Yeah, it I looks great. The, thank you. I kept looking <laughs> in the mirror, you know, I was like for growth. And after about a month, I was like, okay, don't look, just, just let it come back. It'll okay. If it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then, yeah, the last few months, I was like, felt my hair thickening up and stuff. So that's awesome. So I know you said you tapered. Are there any other things that you did? Or I, I know there's things you, you did, but what kind of things did you do to help that process? And what did the first 30 days clean look like for you? Really began doing a lot of, or taking my supplements and my vitamins. Just, I knew I needed to kind of replenish my body of everything that was being depleted. So I began to really making sure I was taking my supplements. I hate to say, I drank so much coffee. I hate to say that. I had to cut down quite a lot. I got to the point where I was drinking like a hundred. I think we had a Keurig at the time and it was so easy to just make a cup whenever. And so I think I was drinking about 130 to 160 ounces of coffee per day when I quit, but I've, I've really cut down. So I'm very proud of myself. But uh, yeah, caffeine fiend over here too. I get oh, it. I know. <laughs> At least it's not sodas, right? I mean, right. Exactly. Are you still taking supplements or yes. you? Yeah. Okay. Me too. I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's good that we start taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we were so bad to ourselves for so long. So it's, I feel like the supplements really helped a lot. So do you have like certain supplements that you would recommend? Magnesium, definitely. And calcium, good quality calcium, since um, I, I just think both of those really help. Ashkawanda is really yes. good. Ashkawanda I love that one. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. And what other kinds of things are you doing? Are you getting back into like old hobbies and activities? What's life look like for you now on the other side? I have, I'm a musician very out of practice uh, but i my husband plays guitar and so he's convinced me to begin bass guitar so i'm doing that and i'm reading more now because one of the things with kratom i just it's that kratom fog and once i quit i just was astounded about how i, I just I felt like myself again i had forgotten who i was essentially over those years of use and it was astounding to me how 
brighter everything was, my own emotions, the world, just the clarity. So yes, reading, getting back into reading was probably the best thing, the best thing that I have found. And um, and just emotional regulation in general. I'm so glad to be able to sit and focus and and, and it's not, an amazing feeling, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. To like it just be participating in life again. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, I don't want to, you know, change the mood too much, but you actually did bring up something earlier that I wanted to talk a little bit with you about because to me it's an important thing, and I know that to you it's also important. But you mentioned that you had some trauma in your, you know, and some PTSD in your past. And that affected, you know, you as an addict and your recovery in in a lot of ways. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what I'm really wondering, or I guess what I wanted to say is that I can relate to having put all that behind you and stuffed it down. And then whenever you get, you know, clean, it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, now you're having to deal with it in a healthy way. But whenever I was in my using days, I didn't think that I would ever be able to do it, you know, so I just kept using to hide from it. (laughs) But it's amazing how well we can handle it, right? (laughs) It is. Do you want to elaborate on, you know, some of your experiences as far as like, you know, have you been able to deal with things in a healthy way and get things out like with a therapist? Maybe I know a lot of people are now in recovery, bringing in professionals when we wouldn't before. And that does help a lot with accountability and being able to deal with things that we are not equipped to deal with. We haven't, you know, allowed ourselves to deal with. What's that look like for you? I have a wonderful husband who he and I are venturing on this healing journey together. And so that's really helpful. I took counseling several years back after a particular traumatic incident which I'll be glad to elaborate on if, if, if you need. No, you don't have to. No, don't. You don't have to do that. I okay. appreciate that, but you don't have to get okay. personal like that. <laughs> okay. Now, the counseling I took was I was able to get count, free counseling through crime victims compensation because of the incident. And uh, I just basically like closed my eyes and just put my finger down <laughs> on the paper. It's like, OK, I'm going to go to her. And bless her heart, she was a wonderful woman, but she was very, and and I'm not trying to harp on anyone's spiritual foundation, but she was a biblical counselor. And so her methods and her methods were a little... They didn't align with yours. (laughs) No, but I was to the point, like, I had already gone to her a couple of sessions and I was like, I'm not going to try to go to anyone else. I was like, it was so hard to open up to begin with. And I kept with her and I stayed with her and it was helpful in a sense that she helped me understand that we have choices to make. We have to really get to a point that it's your choices that matter. And and I think what helped most was it was a safe space for a while, you know, had a safe space to be able to go and talk to someone because I, I really I had no support system after this incident. I had a few friends that were there for me at the beginning, but once I think once they saw how terribly it true you know this incident affected me they didn't know how to deal with it and i don't blame them most people don't know how to deal with their own stuff let alone 
something as heavy that as as I endured. Um, and my father had passed, and my mother, bless her heart, also she um, she has to this day, you know, she's almost sixteen. She hasn't processed her own trauma. And same with my brother and sister. You know, they, you know, my sister unfortunately passed with. You know, she never processed her own. And my my brother to this day, he hasn't. You know, he's still in anguish with unprocessed trauma. So I was pretty much on my own for a couple of years, and then I met my husband, and he he's got some trauma in his past that he is working through, that we are both working through currently. And we spent several years in a fundamentalist church, never really finding peace. And about three months ago, he and I, and we have ventured out of fundamentalism. And again, I'm not trying to harp on anyone's, anyone's beliefs because you need to live your own truth. Everyone needs to live their own truth. But um, we have found that a more metaphysical viewpoint of life has really helped us. In just the past three months, he and I have found so much peace by understanding what consciousness is and how most people live every day completely unconscious and through their ego and thinking their ego is their true self. And I can't recommend Eckhart Tolle enough. I don't know if you've discovered him. I love him. Yes. yes. So <laughs> he <laughs> and Alan Watts. Yes. Don't get me started over here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just understanding who we are in life in relation to the universe as a whole and that we're not separated from it. You grow up being taught that we are this separate entity from everything else and we have to seek help from someone who is more knowledgeable and it creates problems because you're always seeking you're always seeking someone more knowledgeable even when you find that quote unquote more knowledgeable person. You, it still makes you feel empty because you're not truly valuing who you are inside and who you were born to be, no matter the choices you've made in the past. I feel like I'm not articulating this well enough. I apologize. Oh, no. It's beautiful. I absolutely love it because I also feel like I've always been a spiritual person, but I felt like my addiction and Kratom took that away from me in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And it's like you wake up to it again. And mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. I really appreciate you sharing you know, that part of you, I'm so sorry that you, you. ever had to go through that trauma. I wish you nothing but healing. I just feel really grateful that you were willing to share that because I think that people need to understand that it is important once we get clean to really kind of dig into those boxes that we've been stuffing under the bed and hiding and pull it out on our own terms and look at it. Because if we don't, we're just going to, you know, keep going back. We have yes. to find out why. And I think that's just amazing that you're doing that. So thank you so much for sharing yeah, that. Absolutely. This is going to be like a drastic change of mood again. And I apologize. Oh, you're good. You're good. But you did also mention music, and we always talk about music on here. What kind of tunes do you like to blast when you're driving, cleaning, whatever? Uh, I, lo I love everything. I'm I'm really one of those people. A lot of people say, I listen to everything. No, I do listen to everything. We do. <laughs> I mean, from Hank Williams to Aphex Twin, I mean, Pantera to, I mean, Dwight Yoakam. I mean, I love it all. But right now... Because I'm rediscovering music, because I said, you know, we were in Christian fundamentalism and the type of fundamentalism we got involved in, secular music was even a big no-no. So Ty and I, my husband, 
And he, and he is, I mean, music is his religion. And he was denying such a large part of himself for so long. And so these past few months, past couple months, two, three months, we've been rediscovering music and rock and roll, man. I just sound like an old hippie saying that, but I just, no. I love <laughs> just in your face, raw, emotional rock and roll. Like I'm on a big red hot chili peppers kick right now. And, yeah, uh, I love that stuff too. Loud yeah. and roaring. <laughs> yeah. Digging it. Yep, absolutely. So do you have um, any advice that you would give to say somebody that is just wanting, you know, they're just starting out, they are ready to quit? What kind of advice would you give to them? Don't give up. Even if you, you just, just, I mean, don't give up. I don't yeah. know. It's so much easier said than done. You hear it in relation to everything. Don't give up. Keep going on. Keep going. Keep going. It's so but, true, though. But I mean, I tried so many times to quit before I actually quit. And understand that you're human. You're human. And you're going to make mistakes. And and even the person you were 30 minutes before the person you are now, I mean, you can look back and understand that the moment that matters is is, is now. And as long as you take that moment forward and don't harp on yourself for those mistakes and for, for and for and for not succeeding the previous time. That's what's most important. You cannot you're not defined by what you did in your past. You're defined by what you choose to become. And take the moment now and just keep going forward. And if you can find a support system, that's wonderful. But at the same time, in the end, you're doing it. You're the only one who's gonna make those choices to get off of it. And um my dad always said, you're born alone and you die alone. And in a lot of ways, even if you have a wonderful support system, it's still just you. It's still you doing the hard work. Just don't I, understand I that, that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. And that bigger thing wants you to succeed just Absolutely. as much, just as much <laughs> as you want yourself to succeed. The universe is always conspiring in your favor. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I across this Facebook video of Claire Huxtable, I think that was the lady's name, the lady who plays Claire Huxtable on the Cosby's. And she said, she said her mother raised her with these two particular aphorisms and she was going to raise her children the same way. And these two aphorisms were, one was the inner reality creates the outer form. And the second was, I bear no ill to the universe and it bears no ill to me. I love that. And and it, and it, those are just those are powerful. Even if you don't get into any sort of mystical, contemplative, spiritual journey, just understanding those two things that we really do, in a sense, create our reality. Whatever we're used to, our brain is going to continue seeking that which we are used to. And that, and my husband and I were actually having a conversation a while ago about you have to you get to a point where you can't stand yourself and you know that there is something you must change. That's the doorway. That is the doorway to change because you've acknowledged that there is a change which needs to be made. And you can either just stand at that doorway in tears and stay in that state of mind, or you can do the hard work and whatever hard work it takes to walk through that door. And it takes facing yourself. Now, I'm not a guru, but there's a Zen principle that I learned about about how if there's pain, ignoring it's not going to make it go. No, you know, ignoring pain and ignoring an emotion is not going away. So the best thing to do with anything you're trying to, to fix essentially within yourself is to acknowledge it, sit with it, 
find the root of it. And I, I, I believe they call it shadow work. Some people call that shadow work, yep. <laughs> you know, because there are shadows of our past within us and then they're always there. And you can find that shadow within yourself, which of course, you know, and it's also known as inner child work too, to some people. You find that within yourself, you sit with it, you, under, and you, and you understand that that is not you. You understand that that shadow within yourself is not you. And it's a process. Understand it is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight. And then that's another thing in our culture is most of us go to Kratom and other substances because we want a quick fix. Instant gratification. Instant <laughs> gratification of everything. And so, and another piece of advice I would give people trying to get off of Kratom is it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And it is a process and it, and just, just work through the process and be patient with yourself. Love yourself. Give yourself grace. I love everything that you said. I couldn't agree more. I'll never give up is literally my motto when it comes to this because mm -hmm. I, I've dubbed myself the relapse queen because I quit so many times. But you know, when you know you're done, like you mm -hmm. said, it's up to you. And when you know, you know, <laughs> and yes. I just, you know, so that the thoughts become things can be very powerful, even mm -hmm. in our recovery. If you just see yourself on the other side of it. And I, I just want anybody to know that's listening. You're listening. You're here for a reason. Yes. So, you know, you keep reading, you keep showing up, you keep listening, whatever it is, you keep reaching out. You're doing it for a reason. Don't give up 100%. And, you know, it's gonna, gonna be okay. You're gonna be amazed at how well yes. you can handle things sober. It's like, it's, it's just, we say it all the time, night and day, but it really is. <laughs> it's completely, it makes you want to give yourself a pat on the back. Yes. <laughs> So I just, I appreciate you so much for sharing. Have we left anything out? Is there anything else that you feel that you want to get across to the listeners today? Um, in regards to mental health, like we were talking about, there's so much undiagnosed trauma out there. People get misdiagnosed, especially with borderline personality disorder, when in reality, they have unprocessed trauma. I was trying to find, I guess I got rid of it. I was really trying, I looked in all my books trying to find it. But years back, I found this Time magazine. You know how they put out those special ones every few years, but yeah. not specific subject. I found one years back on the brain and different disorders that people are diagnosed with. I was reflecting on that the other day because when I read that, I diagnosed myself with borderline personality disorder. I was like, everything in here sounds exactly like what I have. So I tried to be aware of that when I was younger. And then the other day, a friend of mine posted on Facebook about how she was misdiagnosed with BPD and she realized it's actually trauma, you know, unprocessed trauma. And that made me think of that book. And I was like, you know what? It never once mentioned trauma, PTSD. And so for any listeners who think they have or have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or anything else, consider that you may have actually a lot of, tra you know, trauma that you haven't faced. And that's why you're seeking gratification. Because trauma, I like to say, I don't know, I don't know where I heard this, but trauma is the economy of the enemy. Everything that we're bombarded with today is meant to keep us in a state 
of trauma. So we consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and thinking this consumption is going to bring us happiness and joy and peace, all these things that we naturally want. And so if you keep people in a constant state of trauma and grief, they're not going to evolve. You're not, they're not going to seek the, the joy that's already within themselves. And, and we have, there's so much generational trauma. It's, I mean, that's what mine is from. Mine is generational and most, and most people's is. And so if you think you have, or if you've been diagnosed with perhaps BPD or something else, please consider the fact that you've got a bunch of repressed trauma that you just haven't processed. Well, Christina, it's crazy that you say that because it <laughs> makes so much sense. I actually was diagnosed with BPD in my mm-hmm. early 30s, and my psychiatrist told me that I would outgrow it, which kind of sounded crazy to me, but I guess I kind of maybe did outgrow a lot of the behaviors that were, you know, supposedly BPD. But thinking about what you just said, obviously I had so much, and you know, trauma and PTSD that I hadn't dealt with. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. I never even would have thought about that, but it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you talking with me today. I know that somebody out there is going to absolutely relate. I know I personally, it's crazy how much I relate to your story. A lot of it It could be my story. So I can't wait to be celebrating a year to keep on showing us how it's done. Thanks, Christina. You're welcome. Absolutely. Kratom in the Headlines. Hi, everybody. This is Jacob. And this week on Kratom in the Headlines, we're going to cover two specific attempts at regulation at both the state and local town level in Massachusetts. So I live in southern Maine, which is very close to Massachusetts. So I can I can drive there and be in the state within 20, 25 minutes ish. And I have a lot of connections to the Boston area as I lived there for quite a long time. And I have a lot of friends in the area. And I also work for a company with offices in the area. So I spent quite a bit of time there. So I was interested to see what was happening at the local level in Massachusetts, given that I purchased quite a lot of Kratom in the state when I lived there. And I also, you know, like have those connections, as I mentioned. So essentially, the first article I wanted to talk about is from October 2nd. It's both a article you can read as well as there's There's a news report because it's from Boston 25 News, which is a local news source in the Boston area. But essentially, the article is entitled, It's Dangerous, Push for Regulation in Mass for Addictive Herb. And basically, the article talks about the introduction of Bill H3762, which was introduced in the spring in the Massachusetts State House. And basically, what this bill is intended to do is to regulate the sale of Kratom to adults that are 21 years of age or older, as well as introduce testing to understand the concentration of nitrogenine, as well as ensure that the products aren't unadulterated. And I think there's some some language in there to try to limit the amount of like extract and amount of nitrogenine that can be in extracts and concentrates. Um, so this bill was introduced by a a local state representative here, Daniel Hunt. His staff director, Aaron Walsh, was the one that uh, drafted the bill. And the reason why she was inspired to do so was she has a personal connection through her teenage brother. 
and his friends who have been, according to her, abusing the herb. So that is what's going on at the state level. The article also talks to a treatment professionals at a treatment center called Meta Addiction Treatment. And essentially, they talk about how they're seeing a increase in people seeking treatment for Kratom because of the abundance and availability and prevalence of it in the Massachusetts area. So very interesting to see what's going on at the state level. At the super local level, there's a town in western Massachusetts near um, Springfield, which is about an hour and a half-ish from Boston, I think. And essentially, there's been an introduction of some local legislation in Belchertown, which is kind of a suburban town near Springfield. And they're actually trying to ban the sale of Kratom in Belchertown. So there were two hearings on both October 8th and October 11th where the Board of Health in Belchertown had discussed the um, development of draft regulations prohibiting the manufacture, sale, and distribution of synthetic cannabinoids, including cryotum. I don't believe the outcome of that was actually banning it, but still interesting to read about the efforts going on at the local level, particularly in Massachusetts around Kratom regulation. That's Kratom in the headlines for this week. And hopefully in the future, we can do some more spotlights for Kratom regulation in local areas across the country. Resource of the week. Thank you, Decima and Christina, for bringing up a touchy subject. It can be difficult to talk about in public. We had a listener, Brett, who suggested that we start asking our guests about their history with trauma, because that's often a cause, a contributing factor for addictions. Jacob and I talked about it, and we were both worried, you know, we're lay people. What if somebody has unprocessed trauma? How can, you know, how will we respond to the person? Of course, somebody with excellent empathy like Decima handled it perfectly. So the resource of the week today is a book that I found very helpful. It's called Complex PTSD, From Surviving to Thriving. It's written by Pete Walker. He's also the author of The Tao of Foley Feeling. He also recently did, in the last year or two, a podcast appearance. So I will post that in the show notes along with the link to the book. The book is great. It talks about emotional flashbacks, which is the kind of the, how he defines one of the core symptoms of complex PTSD. I like this. He has this 4F typology about fawning, freezing, fighting, and flight as kind of like these emotional flashback types that you have or these responses that you might have in the present day to deal with past trauma. And uh, some of the things he talked about is, you know, self-mothering or self-fathering or reparenting by committee. He has a 13 steps to uh, dealing with emotional flashbacks. An addiction, he writes on page 95, when the survivor of trauma has no understanding of the effects of this past distress or no memory of being traumatized, addictions are often understandable, misplaced attempts to regulate painful emotional flashbacks. However, many survivors are now in a position to see how self-destructive their addictions are. They are old enough to learn healthier ways of self-soothing. Accordingly, substance and process addictions 
can be seen as misguided attempts to distract from inner pain. The desire to reduce such habits can therefore be used as motivation to learn the more sophisticated forms of self-soothing that complex PTSD recovery work has to offer. And he talks about um, going to chapter 11, where he talks about grieving work as a, one of the tools that he offers to deal with this inner pain. And just a quick note. Yeah, the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder was really stigmatizing and over uh, diagnosed with women. I, you know, and it just created a mess that's still in the psychology manuals as in a diagnosis, you know, of an emotional dysregulation disorder. It's almost universally a product of um, experience and trauma. You know, men don't get diagnosed with it rarely. And most men uh, express their borderline disorder traits through addiction. Uh, and it just, it's one of the misfortunes of society. Uh, and I will be glad for the day when the borderline disorder is wiped from the collective memory of the psychological industrial complex. And I like psychologists. <laughs> and if you're struggling with trauma, uh, please seek help. You know, addiction is a rational response to dealing with the pain of things that happened to you in the past. You know, I'm one of those American males that were abused by somebody associated with the Boy Scouts. And, you know, I come to my addictions honestly, like many of us. You know, I can pinpoint, along with probably a little bit of genetics and other environmental factors, you know, the cause of my addiction. So I'll put the show in the show notes. I'll put some links to that, the, those resources. Uh, any of Pete Walker's writing is excellent. And, you know, if you're more of an audio learner, I think so. I'm not sure if, if his books are available for audio books. I, I only have print copies of them, but he did do this podcast that I found really helpful recently. I know when I tell people, uh, send us an email at creativesobriety at gmail.com. That really dates me. You know, I, I was an early adopter of email like in 93. The boomers in the workplaces around me uh, were still faxing, you know, and I was like on the cutting edge of technology at the time. And like 30 years later, I'm still telling people, email me. I know that email is no longer cutting edge. We're on all the social media channels. There is a voice number if you want to leave a message. You see that in the show notes. And until next time, keep it Kratom free.